0: To get started, visit
1: plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
0: Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates. To debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. A quick content warning. In this episode, we talk about toxic diet culture. Please be advised that topics may include mentions of weight loss and gain, examples of fat bias, and discussions on disordered and restrictive eating. Please use your own discretion if any of these are difficult or triggering topics for you. Thank you. Hey, hunbots and hunbros. Super quick housekeeping before we get into the episode. I wanted to let you know that there is a content warning. We talk about some heavy stuff, uh, including orthorexia, toxic diet culture, and uh, miscarriage, and the exploitation of children on social media. So, some pretty heavy topics. And I just wanted to give you guys a heads up. Secondly, uh, thank you to our newest Patreon members. So, thank you to Molly, Maggie McInnery and Dr. Joe Eckler. You guys are awesome and welcome to the club. I've been working on quite a bit of bonus content. You guys are going to be really, really excited. That is going to be starting next month. I cannot believe it is almost October. If you would like to become a member of the Patreon, we have 5 and $10 tiers. You get the episodes early, ad-free, and with little extra bonus content in it as well. And I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who has supported this show, Because without you guys, um, this past month wouldn't have been the first time that I got to say that life after MLM was my full-time income. So I wanted to share that with you guys. It is a huge accomplishment for me and I couldn't have done it without you. You guys are absolutely incredible. Other than that, a call to action. If you have any fun MLM history stories that you know or that you want me to tell, hit me up. We're going to be doing even more bonus content over the next three months for the holidays. And I would love to tell a story that maybe you know that nobody else does. So if you want to make an episode with me, or you just want to sort of be the email that starts it, hit me up. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that I asked you guys to message me about. Um, We're gonna be talking about this topic a lot. And our guest messaged me at the beginning of the year, and I totally missed it because of this topic, but we're talking now. And I would love to introduce to you guys, uh, Jeanette Holian, welcome to the show, Jeanette. We're going to be talking today about your, um, your journey in MLM, but also ADHD. And I'm really excited.
1: (laughs) Me too. Especially now that I see all the connections. So thank Ah, you for having me. Yeah. (laughs) So I want to uh, apologize
0: to everybody right now who's listening. We may interrupt each other a little bit. I do my best <laughs> in editing, but I even told you at the beginning, I'm like, I might interrupt you. We both have ADHD. We're aware. And so um, if the interrupting is a big issue for you, here's your trigger warning. Anyway, <laughs> we're talking about ADHD today, but it's life after MLM. And so let's talk about your time in MLM and what that looked like. And we'll sort of Talk about ADHD as it comes up throughout this whole
1: conversation. Yeah. Great. Perfect.
0: All right. Take it away, Jeanette.
1: So I'm also one of those people that grew up where like my mom did Mary Kay, my mom did Pampered Chef, like- you know, stuff like that grew up in the South. So a lot, that was a lot of people's parents. I would go with my stepmom to pamper chef parties and stuff like that. So to me, like, I didn't really realize what those were. I was just like, Oh, these moms sell this stuff. That's cool. You know, and I get to play with my mom's Mary Kay kit. <laughs> when I, oh my gosh, I was like in my late twenties, Facebook had started to really grow at that point because it was like 2011. I had already kind of been on my own weight loss. I hate this phrase, but weight loss journey where I was like going to the gym, working out. Honestly, I was not doing it in a healthy way. Did not know that at the time. And also really like ignored people who were telling me like I wasn't eating enough and stuff because I was like, I'm fine. I know my body, but that's another topic for another day. So I'd already been losing weight, working on that. My background is in higher education administration. I have a master's degree in higher ed. So I've been working in colleges at this point, primarily in residence life, which meant I lived on campus, responded to emergencies, things like that. So even with a master's degree, you don't get paid very much. It's education. They count your housing as part of your compensation. Don't make a ton of money. So the college campus I was working on, I actually wound up getting a job outside of residence life. It was actually kind of a hybrid student affairs, uh, human resources role in Title IX. So I got to move off campus. It's like, I was moving on up. We bought a house. I thought that I was moving into my dream job. You know, I was really excited about it. I was excited to help students who had dealt with Title IX issues. So um, sex and gender discrimination on campus. We start realizing we didn't budget very well between all the gas that we're both spending because we're living, we live in the DC area and we've lived here for a really long time. So I was working in Baltimore. We were living in Silver Spring, so that's about an hour, hour and a half commute, depending on the day. And my partner was working in D.C. at the time. I believe that's another hour commute. So we're both driving out, coming back, spending a ton on gas, along with the fact that you know we now have a mortgage. Uh, we weren't used to that. You know, even though I had moved to a different position, it wasn't like I was being paid a ton of money, and so we just weren't used to that type of budgeting. And I started stressing out because I counted up all our money and finally legit did a budget like we're, we're adults now do a budget and said I don't have enough money what are we gonna do and so I remembered seeing on Instagram on Facebook all these posts about Beach Body. the person who wound up being my coach my upline had shared something about it that was like you know you don't have to be an expert you just have to love fitness so I'm like why well, I, I do I really love fitness this has been such a thing for me, like, I would love to do this and help other people because people had been asking me, what workouts are you doing? What food are you doing? So I was like, cool, well, I can do this and get paid. Like, that's amazing. Like what, what a fix. And it was actually right after they had done their summit that year. Because, you know, those events are designed to pull you in, create FOMO. Big deal for us, right? With ADHD, the FOMO. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, okay, I want to do this. Like, I also didn't have a ton of friends because we just moved. It just seemed like the right thing to do. I used like the money we did not have to buy the starter pack because that makes you a coach with credentials. It does not. And I did really well immediately. Like I immediately hit success club and I'm putting that in quotes, which means that I signed up three people that month to get Shakeology and like the whole challenge path and did it for three months in a row right off the bat. I I mean, I was good at it and I made okay money at it. I never did the cost analysis, so I'm sure I actually didn't really make anything, but it felt like I did.
0: That's a you know really what I mean? interesting distinction right yeah. there. Like feeling like you're making the money because you're yeah. seeing the green plus sign, right? Yeah. And your yeah. income is like, oh, that's another thousand dollars. That's another thousand dollars. And I don't know, maybe this is an ADHD thing you do too, but I just always round numbers up. 973, I'm like, that's a thousand dollars. Yes. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. And it's that positive dopamine of like, oh, I did it. I did it and like you know aside from every person that you get signed up it's also seeing the positive money come in every week right because you're seeing it every week and you can sign into your back office and see the commission each time you get a sale and so you're like okay well if I get one more then I'm gonna have this so it's like reverse shopping (laughs) you know what I mean wow So Beachbody pays, it's
0: what every Friday, every Thursday. So even a day earlier than like regular payday.
1: Yes. Yes. So you get paid every Thursday. It's when they do their recognition as well. So if you're getting recognition too, whoo! that Thursday is a dopamine high, because you're getting recognized for what you did and you're getting your money. And yeah, so it's like, you know, the perfect storm to make you feel all of the good feelings. And especially the love bombing. So I don't fault my upline for anything because I think that just like you and I, like you've said, like, I think this, that it's like, we're all perpetrators and victims of this, right? And so I don't fault her for doing what she's been taught and what she's been shown. In fact, like, I still have a lot of love for her. I think she is kind of stuck in where she is. And she was never horrible to me when I left. She's very much a bless and release kind of person. And that's totally fine. But like the love bombing is what they're taught to do, what we're taught to do absolutely. And we thrive off of that because again, it's, it's the dopamine. Right. And like one of the things that I really struggled with was the rejection sensitivity that can pair with ADHD. And so I had a really hard time with that when people would like, turned me down. Like I would be afraid to send a message to follow up. Cause I was afraid they'd say no. And then I'd be rejected. And then I would stew over it. But at the beginning, I didn't really have that issue yet because I was doing so well, because I had already lost a bunch of weight doing other things. So people trusted me and then getting into beach body, which first of all, I started off with this thing called the three-day refresh, which is ridiculously restrictive. It's under a thousand calories a day. You know, you don't work out. Here's the thing too. I was such a stickler for every rule Beachbody had in terms of like the nutrition plans with things like that. Like it's like, don't work out. So I wouldn't work out. So if I saw other people working out on the plans, I would get like enraged. Like, I'm like, you're not supposed to work out on this. It says not to work out. You're not following the rules. You're cheating. Like so I would get Like, like yeah, it was weird.
0: There's other MLMs that have the same sort of rule. And I think it's just a yeah. health rule. It's like, you're not consuming enough calories to even like function as a human. So don't yeah. extra function today don't yes, extra exactly. function, literally breathing and walking is all that you'll be allowed to do on this very low restrictive calorie. I think Optavia right. has the same and yes. it's the it's selling point. It's like, yes. it's the diet that you don't even have to work out and you'll lose weight. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yes, because you're start, you're literally starving yourself. Your body is like, it's starving. It's starving. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean the headaches that I had on that and they're just like, oh, you're detoxing. Uh no your kidneys no, do that for starving. you. Starving. Yeah, you're starving. Like cuz I tried to do the 3 day refresh I did it one other time and then I tried to do it another time and I didn't finish it. I had such a bad headache slash it was like turning into a migraine. Like I couldn't open my eyes. It was so bad. I was like, I'm never doing this again. That was like the beginning of the end for me. Like was that I'm never doing this specific program again, even though it's only three days, it was torture. And the shake on that one is, I mean, first of all, Shakeology is not that great anyway, but this one has this other shake that literally tastes like baby oatmeal and it made me want to throw up. It was the grossest, but yeah. Oh my gosh. So. It's
0: like people with ADHD, mm-hmm. we thrive in situations like this, even, even though they're negative. Yeah. And it really is because <laughs> in my brain, it's always going like a giant party. Yes. So if someone yes. comes in and says, we're going to clean up and organize a little bit, I'm like, oh yeah, I definitely need Help that. Me. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> that's absolutely. the one thing we're lacking. And so when you find a system, that's like, everything is done for you. It's yeah. step number one. It's step number two. It's step number three profit. Right. And you're just like, yes, (laughs) I can do this. This is easy.
1: Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt.
0: (laughs) No, totally. But you know, it really is that like, put me on a schedule, tell me what Mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just tell me what to do. And we're golden. And that, that's definitely something that, that I deal with a lot. I'm very, very much like I loved Legos as a kid and I followed the instructions. I never, built anything outside of the instructions until I had built it with the instructions, admired my handiwork, and then would tear down and be creative from there. But I always had to do it by the book. Always.
1: Yes. Roberta, I got a Ninja Creamy. My mom got it for us for Christmas. And literally, that's what I was doing last night with the ice cream as we were making. I was like, we have to make one of the easy ones first so we can follow it exactly. And then we'll mess with making our own mixins and crazy stuff. <laughs> So completely. And that's the yes. thing with, and, I, and a lot of MLMs, but specifically my experience with Beachbody is they were pr- always saying like, success leaves clues, everything is duplicatable, like, share your story. Talk to this many people a day, be a product of the product, profit. Like, it's very much that, oh, I just need to do these things. Like, nobody talks about the fact that, like, actually what you need to do is have a really large following. What you need to do is actually lie to people. What you actually really need to do is stack. Because in Beachbody, really, that's the way to make money is by stacking. And, like, I wound up kind of stacking, but in a different way than other people do that's what you think that you need to do. And like, had I added up all of the money I spent stacking, I'm sure I would be absolutely appalled, but you know, that's, we can get into that later.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about ADHD really quick. Um, how old were you when you were diagnosed? 34. (laughs) And that was, you said last year.
1: Yeah, so I had a suspicion in the last couple of years that I had it. Actually, had to switch therapists and psychiatrists because we switched insurances a couple of times between job changing and stuff. And so once I started seeing my current psychiatrist for you know, I've been on Zoloft for a while, like ever since uh, postpartum. I had really bad postpartum anxiety and um, kind of obsessive thoughts that something bad was going to happen to my son after he was born. And you know, this kind of ties into like the Trigger I'm going to talk about miscarriage. So I had three miscarriages before my son was born as part of my, you know, beach body. Let me share everything. We can talk about how that kind of re-traumatizes you sharing that stuff all the time, but that's another aspect of it. So I was seeing this psychiatrist and I said, I'm, I think I might have this. And so he had me do like a, an assessment where like I went to this place and I'm pretty sure the guy mostly does assessments for kids. <laughs> but, you know, I sat at a computer and I took this assessment and it was exactly what most women are diagnosed with where it's not the hyperactivity, it's the attention aspect of it. The test that they had me take was one where these numbers pop up on the screen and audi- audibly. And so you have to press a different button depending on whether it's audible or and I would catch myself like staring out the window. Like I caught myself not paying attention. It was still caught. You know what I mean? So yeah. So 34. So I've been on medication, still kind of struggling with getting it quite right. I also see a therapist to try to work on things behaviorally, not just with medication. Uh, Cause I think you kind of need both, especially when you're diagnosed so much later in life, because even if you address the brain aspect of it, all of these behaviors are now such ingrained learned behaviors that there's, you have to work on the behaviors too. In my opinion, like that's my experience.
0: Absolutely. I was also diagnosed last year at the Mm -hmm. age of 40 And Mm -hmm. it was because of the podcast and certain comments that people would make about interrupting one. I didn't know how to edit. So that's a big. I still interrupt. I just edited it out now, you guys.
1: Um, (laughs) So that's
0: a big thing. But what did you start? Like once you had your answer, right. Which to me was like the biggest sound of glass breaking, like where I'm like, Oh my God, like thinking back on your life and everything you had been through and all of the challenges you, you faced or Things like in relationships where people are like, why are you like this? Or why do you do this? And you're just like, this is just how I am. Like how many of those things were like, oh, it's ADHD for you. Oh my God.
1: So many things. Like, I mean, start off with the fact of like, I was always talking. I talk really fast and, you know, I remember being little and being criticized for that all the time. Like, oh, you're such a chatterbox, like always talking, you know, having to get moved in class. But the thing is, I was always, just like a lot of women who are diagnosed with ADHD, I was really good in school. Like, not behavior-wise, but like, I got pretty much straight A's all the time. And actually, I was going through a lot of traumatic stuff when I was growing up. So um not to get into too much detail, but, you know, I dealt with an assault when I was younger. My parents went through a very tumultuous divorce that led to a lot of inappropriate conversations with parents about other parents. Like it was, so on top of the fact that I'm dealing with that, not knowing that I'm dealing with that, I also had this other stuff going on. A lot of stuff that I was going through seemed like it was because of this other trauma. And I think that they do play a role together. Cause I know that there are now studies showing that children who have been through trauma tend to show signs of ADHD and they're not sure if one causes one or it brings it out or whatever. So I'll be interested to see kind of what happens with those studies over time, just you know, for my own curiosity, but it's like the talking, the interrupting and like, you know, with the energy I, you know, we were talking about this before we started of like always volunteering, always being the one to go. And so when I was in college and I was doing residence life, I was trying to be like the show person, the class clown. Like I was voted most talkative in high school. Oh my like, God,
0: me you
1: <laughs> Yeah. By one vote. <laughs> most talkative yeah probably I was voted most talkative
0: but it was middle school it wasn't high school I was voted most oh, okay. talkative and my best friend in middle school he also got most talkative and I you know I would not be surprised if he also had ADHD and I remember being like am I really and I was yeah. like well I guess yeah. the whole school voted so I guess I, I guess am. so yeah
1: it was between me and one other person and I won by one vote um and honestly she was pretty talkative too she probably deserved it as well I don't know if she's ADHD, I wonder. The thing too is, like I said, I was really good at school. So I went high school to college, college to grad school, finished grad school. I have tried to go back to school and I cannot. I cannot finish when I start a class again. And I think it's because we had been so like pushed into that structure that it's like, if I just keep following this structure, I'm good. But now that I have a job and I'm trying to do classes, I don't know how to make that structure myself. So if I have a choice, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Even if I make the structure, I'm not doing it because it's not like a choice. I took a U.S. design course, made it probably three quarters of the way through, didn't finish it. Granted, I did have a baby, but still like, why did I start it then? (laughs) Like why would I have started it then? And part of it is that hyper fixation of like, I'm gonna do this as a career. I'm gonna go into it, I'm gonna learn it. And then you kind of just lose interest in it and you didn't have the structure to stick with it. I'm in the middle of a data analytics course I've been taking for a year and a half and I'm trying to make myself finish it. And luckily I have a very supportive job now with a very supportive manager who is like, do it for two hours in the morning at work. Like it's fine because it's gonna benefit me in my current job. But yeah, I mean, just so many times and I've changed career paths like 15 times. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I'm I'm 35, I'm finally happy with my career path. Um, Do I think that, and I think part of it is accepting that like that may not be my career path forever. I think has been really powerful for me with ADHD of like, now that I know I have this and like I may change my mind as to what I'm interested in and what I wanna do and I've accepted that, that's okay. Instead of feeling like a failure, for changing career paths. Because when I left residence life slash higher education, I felt like I failed or wasted money in grad school because I'd gotten this degree and now I didn't want to do this anymore. And I was like, God, I feel like I failed. I feel like I wasted all this money, but I didn't because I learned how to work with people with learning disabilities with different abilities and different, you know, neurotypical neurodiverse people because of my background. So it helps me kind of accept myself a little bit more and understand myself a little bit more and realize like that I didn't fail. It's just part of a whole lifelong journey. There is no one linear path to success. And I think we get so used to masking of trying to pretend like we're on this linear path to success that anytime we diverge from it, It feels like a failure, you know, overall, like, I think that's been the biggest thing for me with having my diagnosis has been learning to accept the things I can't change. Right. But to work on them. So at home, I feel comfortable saying to my partner, like, Hey, like, I'm not trying to make an excuse, but I just want you to know right now I'm overstimulated. I don't, I don't want to be touched. There's too much noise. I need to sit in bed by myself and just scroll on TikTok for a little bit. And like being able to communicate my needs and not feeling like, I'm alienating somebody or making them feel bad or getting annoyed with them because they're talking to me, I can now take that time, turn my brain off, kind of re recollect myself so then I can listen and I can be present. I can put my phone away and play with my son. You know what I mean? So I think it's just been really big to like noticing those things as well as letting go of MLM stuff because... I don't have to be on social media if I don't want
0: to. Yeah. Well, you, you brought up a really great point, which is like the whole Jack of all trades master of none, which is like an ADHD superpower, right? Yeah. Is what gets so many of us neurodivergent people stuck in MLM, right? Because of the whole, it's done for you. I just have to pay my $99. I get the kit. Everything's in it. I don't have to think about anything. I'm a very big, like, oh. Just make my life easier. If I don't have to think about it, sure. That makes it even easier, right? So we get that jack of all trades. You're like, I've always wanted to learn how to scrapbook. And you mm-hmm. learn and you join. Yeah. And then, I mean, for me, it was like, okay, I figured it out. I don't like to scrapbook anymore. I want to learn how to watercolor. And so I feel like there's a lot of people in MLM who join these MLMs because they want to learn a certain skill. And then they jump from one MLM to the next because one <sighs> they didn't make the money or The thing they wanted to learn, they learned, they got all the supplies. They don't need any more supplies. I'm going to leave this craft MLM. I'm going to try another craft MLM. I'm going to leave this one. I'm going to join this fitness one. I'm going to join, you know, and bouncing around because of our ADHD and maybe being undiagnosed and not knowing that your constant like search for your next cool thing you're going to learn is ADHD in hyperfixation mode of you being like, what else can I learn?
1: Yes. Well, and that just made me think too, and I hadn't made this connection before with Beachbody, even though now they have body, you know, which is their online interactive platform they're always coming out with a new program, right? So you're finishing a program. And so now you're like, Ooh, new program, Ooh, new program. So that you have something new to learn and be immersed in for eight weeks or four weeks or six weeks or whatever. That's so different from what you just did. Now I love bar. I didn't like bar before. Now I love bar. And like Now I love lifting or, you know, you're always changing what your interest is and be like, I never knew that I'd be interested in this, but really it's like, you're not, you're just interested in the shiny new thing because it gives you something new to learn and feel like you know everything about it. Then when you're talking with the people that you've signed up, I don't want to say customers, whatever, you're talking to the people who you, you know, duped into doing this with you. You're like, well, now I've really studied this. I'm the expert. So I can tell you everything.
0: When you said I studied this, it unlocked a core memory for my time. in. The <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> So, you know, ask me about that crazy wrap thing. So I got the crazy wrap thing and then people would be yeah. like, yeah, but how does it work? And I was like, I don't know, botanicals. And they're like, but like what botanicals? And I was like, I don't know, like proprietary blends of them. So I didn't know. So I, I yeah. one day I looked at the back and I wrote down and Googled every single ingredient. Oh my God. Made like a little flashcard <laughs> oh like back to studying days and yes. would like, go, oh, that's, for this. And that's for this. And that's for this. So that when people would ask, I had flashcards for all of it, because I wanted to be as knowledgeable and as much of an expert at this ridiculous thing that I didn't really care about that much, but I didn't want to disappoint my cousin who had, you know, got me into it. Um, And so it's like, I wanted to be the best little rap seller I could possibly be. And again, it's that hyper fixation. It's that ADHD that was coming out and was like, yes, you are going to be the best. And this is how, like, this is how we're going to set ourselves apart. We're going to be more knowledgeable. We're going to have more yeah. facts. We're going to have irrefutable evidence of things, uh, which uh, obviously in an MLM is just bunk, but that's how yeah. I felt. And this was again, before I was diagnosed and yeah. I didn't know why I needed to do this other than to be the best it workser. I could possibly be.
1: Yeah. So then you're like, well, everyone will want to sign up with me because I'll know everything. I'll be so good at this. And then when they don't, yes. you're like, why are they signing up with her? She doesn't know anything. Oh, but she's really pretty. <laughs> like, I mean, cause that's honestly yeah. like, I mean, we can't, especially in MLMs that are related to weight loss, fitness, whatever. Unfortunately, the visuals, the way people look have a lot to do with who signs up with who. One of the things, and sorry, this is kind of a tangent, but one of the things I've been seeing in Beachbody a lot lately is like, oh, it's not about the weight loss. You know, it's about feeling good in your body and being body positive, even while Autumn's like, I hate the body positive movement, which, so everyone's giving a different message. They're trying to market it like, oh no, it's about how you feel but it's not, if it was about how you feel, then you wouldn't be giving these restrictive diets and you wouldn't be pushing like 40 supplements onto everybody. That's not what it's about. And like, you wouldn't be using your weight loss pictures in order to bring people in. It is about how, you know, you look and what you see. It's not about what you know, but we think like, oh, the more I know, the better I'll be at this. But at the end of the day, that's not what gives you success in an MLM.
0: No, not at all. Yeah.
1: And let's talk about another
0: thing that people with ADHD and neurodivergency have, and that's rejection sensitivity, where (laughs) we're just a little more sensitive to rejection. We just are a little more fearful of it. So we might not say how we're really feeling in the moment. We might sort of hint at things or tell stories that are similar, but aren't necessarily connected to sort of try to negate the rejection and the, and the sensitivity of, of this whole thing. Um, and I think that that plays a lot into MLM with the FOMO uh, as well. Mm-hmm wanting to do really well, because you don't want to disappoint the people that brought you in, because you don't understand that you're just a number and you're just a cog and you're just a brick. Uh, you think that you're valuable because they've told you you're valuable. You think that you're important because they said, Oh my God, we've never had an X, Y, Z on the team before. So you Mm -hmm. feel like, Oh, I'm important. I'm valuable. I have this skill or this, this, uh, mindset or whatever that's, that's valuable to the team. How we will ignore our own discomfort to make others feel better because we don't want any sort of rejection from them at all. Right.
1: Well, and it's like you can't win, right? Because, so in my experience, you know, I would feel worried about the rejection when I reached out to somebody. I was afraid, oh my God, what if they say no? And then I'd be like, it's not a no, it's a not right now. And even telling myself that, like, I was still nervous. So if I get rejected by them, then I have the double whammy of, feeling rejected but also will I feel rejected from my upline if I don't perform which I mean it's a deep down thing like I'm not sitting here going oh my upline's gonna be mean to me if I don't perform because I never felt that but I'm not gonna get the recognition this month I'm not gonna get I mean I hit success club 24 months in a row uh which means that yeah that means I signed up at least three people every month for two years and I made myself do it. Cause I was like, if I don't hit it, like, that's how you, that's how you succeed. That's how you succeed. That's how you succeed. And once I hit 24 months, I didn't care anymore. <laughs> and I missed a month and it was the best feeling ever. Like it was the worst feeling and the best feeling just to let it go. And again, I think that was part of the beginning of the end for me it was realizing like that I can let things go like that. But yeah, I mean, there, there were months that like, there was a month that I called my mom. I'm like, I need to do my child talk this month because Otherwise I'm going to miss out. I mean, I would sit in bed at 11 o'clock at night trying to make like a final sale. So that way I would definitely hit success. club. be like, I'll give you a $25 gift card, which you're not allowed to do. If you give a $25 gift card that month, you have to give it to everybody who signs up that month. You can't just give it to whoever signs up at the end of the month. And I don't even know if those are still the rules, but those were the rules at the time. So like you can do giveaways, but they have to be consistent and they have to be of a certain monetary value and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I did everything that I could to do that for 24 months because I didn't want to disappoint anybody. Definitely didn't want to disappoint myself. And then I think that the thing after leaving that I've dealt with too, with that rejection sensitivity is like, I built all these quote relationships, which are they really relationships? No, some of them maybe, but they were people I already had relationships with. You know, I I spent all this time getting talking to these people all of this stuff and now like I'm afraid to like apologize or just like regularly talk to them about other things because of what I got them involved in and so like afraid of being rejected again for getting them involved in this and having to face that in myself wow like I and I talked to a couple people who have been like giving me more grace than I probably deserve one of my friends, she's one of the ones who had ADHD that helped me realize I had it. She's like, listen, I learned a lot. I don't fault you for anything. She's like, I'm, I'm an adult. I made my own decisions. I learned the things that I learned. There were definitely positives to me being in Beachbody when I was in it. This is what she told me. And she's like, so it is what it is. She's like, and I'm not upset with you at all. So I mean, like that was helpful. Do you ever
0: wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete.me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. DeleteMe then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet, and they make sure that it stays off, too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private. By signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to slash mlm and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to slash mlm and enter code MLM at checkout. That's slash mlm code MLM. Head over to Quince.com and grab yourself a little something, something, and support the show by supporting our sponsors.
1: However, there are like other friendships that I've lost that now I'm like, I can't go back to them and apologize because I'm going to be rejected. And maybe I won't be, but that fear is there and it's so real.
0: Yeah. I I could imagine uh, anybody with ADHD could look at their text messages on their phone right now. And there's going to be several that have not been read like in the twenties, thirties, (laughs) forties because of that rejection sensitivity. How many do you have?
1: I'll check me. 99. (laughs) But that's also some of those ones are like the different brands that are like, hey, get 20% off today. Cause I'll just go through and like highlight them and delete them all. But yeah, I definitely have text messages from people that I talk to regularly. Or like, oh my God, Facebook Messenger. After I left Beachbody, I would not go on Facebook Messenger anymore. Every time I logged into Facebook Messenger, getting this terrible feeling. I mean, I still do an Instagram too of like, I'm going to open this message and they're going to be saying that they don't want to sign up. And like, honestly, I got pretty lucky. I don't know the word to use where I did not have to do a lot of outreach on my own because I had such drastic results in my weight loss in general, which they were, it was not all from Beachbody, but I did have drastic Beachbody results as well that people reached out to me. And so I would just have to follow up with the same people all the time. I wasn't having to like drive everybody crazy. I also signed up for like the Facebook page classes. So I was also like reaching out to people that I didn't really know. So then I didn't care as much about what they felt, but I still had that rejection fear and things like that. So it's just like, I still have those feelings when I log into the messenger apps. Cause that's where I would get that rejection sensitivity of like that pit in your stomach of like, I'm going to open this message and it's going to make me feel bad. And Absolutely. I don't feel bad.
0: Yeah. My inboxes are insane. And it's literally because of my rejection sensitivity disorder. I have 126 unread messages. Granted, I am in a couple like mass group texts, like with salon things and family things and stuff. So it's probably quite a bit of that too. But Yeah. yeah, I mean, my Facebook messenger, my inbox, my email, my Instagram, like filtered, like it's crazy. That's why I always tell people, I'm like, just email me. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's easier to filter. An email. an I, sure. like, te- I get
0: like comments that are like, I sent you a message and I'm like, just email me. Like <laughs> I can't find it. I can't find it. Yeah. It's just, it's such a mess. It is so yeah. when you have so many messages and this is not like a brag thing, but like, it's hard to find things. And so yes. just, just email me. You guys.
1: No, totally. And like, you know, I remember there was a point too, where we were being told, well, it wasn't from Beachbody, but I can't remember if it was from a coach. It may have been like an up, 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 up coach that was like, oh, you should move people to email, you know, just in case anything ever happens to social media or whatever. And so, you know, then I also have like a thousand weird emails. (laughs)
0: Like what's with the, just in case something ever happens to social media, fear monger, like social media is just going to disappear tomorrow and we have to have an
1: email list. Do you remember there was that point where like Facebook and Instagram, like shut down for like a whole day? I think that that's where that came from. And like, did one day really like hurt you that much? No, but you know, and everyone was still of, like,
0: on Facebook, just refreshing it all day. So it's not like, <laughs> Roberta, if it's not
1: working, how are you going to ABC always be closing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the, the most people that panicked that day were the Hunts that were like, oh my God, oh, the internet is there.
1: For sure, it's by the end of the month too. Oh my
0: god, we played end of the month bingo one time on uh, YouTube, and it was just obnoxious. The posts that we had found of people begging, begging for the end of the month.
1: I don't even, my posts at the end of the month were always a transformation post, and I mean I'm pretty sure they said like the same things all the time of like I was tired, I didn't feel good in my body, I needed support. And this is where I found it. If you're tired of feeling that way too, drop a comment below, but I'll get back to you, you
0: know? Yeah. And that, that'll lead us into the next topic I wanted to talk about because everybody that were beach body people, uh, talk about this and I'm curious, but disordered eating and the different ways and people that are targeted, like what was your experience in beach body with that kind of stuff? Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I grew up as like uh, once I hit like third grade, I became like a chubby kid. And that's just like, that's, it's my genetics. Like it, it is what it is. Like I had different feelings about it then than I do now, obviously. <laughs> also, as we talked about earlier, going through a lot of traumatic things and I definitely turned to food to help me with that. And I think that, and I, I don't wanna say this like, oh, I didn't have the support to deal with that. I think parents did not know what they know now in terms of supporting their children through situations like that. You know, they just, they, we have so many more tools now as parents than our parents did. And so I think on one hand we can kind of, I don't wanna say criticize, but be critical of our childhoods, but with frame of grace of knowing like, cause like now that I'm in my thirties, you know, like I think about my mom's age when I was my son's age and she was significantly younger than I am. I'm just like, I don't know how she did any of it. And I totally get where some of that came from. So in terms of the eating, you know, I was what you would consider like very, like for what doctors, whatever would say was very obese. I have issues with the BMI, whatever. But at the end of the day, like I was not being healthy. I was eating portions that were way too big for me and not exercising. I was in a very large, uncomfortable body, unhealthy in terms of cholesterol, stuff like that. Finally, had kind of settled into going to the gym with a friend. And like I said, like at first I was going to the gym with her and using my fitness pal to monitor my eating, which my fitness pal is also very problematic in how oh, it tells great. you how many calories to eat, right? And then you have the red that you've gone over calories, which is incredibly like a red flag in of itself. But, you know, so I was already under eating and my weight loss had stalled because I had been starving myself. I had seen all of my friends posting about these color containers. And I was like, what is this? And so that kind of pulled me in in the first place to be interested in that. The thing with the color containers is they are perfect for an ADHD brain because it is a very simple, easy to follow method where you can either plan your meals and have them perfectly planned and portioned, or you can go to your fridge and just fill the containers and dump and check off the boxes. So as you're checking off the boxes every day, you're getting those dopamine hits, right? And then you're seeing the scale go down dopamine hits. Like it's like the perfect storm for creating problematic eating habits. One of the things too, and I talked about this on my TikTok actually, part of the thing too, is if you're not seeing results, quote, with beach body, one of the things they tell you to do is eat from the top third of the list. So you have each color container has a list, right? And the top third of the list is, you know, the, the most nutrient dense. So things like broccoli, asparagus, kale, spinach, the meat list is the one that makes me laugh the most because it's like squab, goat, which I'm like, there are cultures that eat squab and goat more regularly than, you know, my culture, for example, but where do you buy that? And it, like at a grocery Expensive store. Expensive specialty
0: you, butchers. Yes.
1: Exactly. Unless that's something that is already a part of your cultural meal that you're going to, you know, where to get it from. For example, where I used to live, the Costco had full goats because there were people who bought that where I live at the Costco near where I live now you can't buy a whole goat you know those are all ranked same thing with fruit like there were fruits I totally avoided like the fact that I can eat a whole banana now and not feel guilty is huge because a half a banana is a purple container so the plan I was that I would get three purple containers a day plan out what fruits I would eat so I'd put one fruit in my Shakeology I'd have one fruit with my breakfast because I'd do like oatmeal or something like that and then I'd have a fruit as a snack and you had to cut them up and put them in the container. And some of them have like numbers, right? Like baby carrots, don't fill the container. You can have 10 baby carrots, regardless of how big or small they are. You get 10 baby carrots. There's all these rules to follow and all of these things to know. You get so caught up in it. And, you know, they also have a second program. It's called Two B mindset. And that one's a little bit more flexible However, when it came out, when I was a coach, it was something new to learn and know all the details of. And while you're not fitting it in a container, you're doing a plated method, right? And so, you know, you're having this kind of, this much of your plate as a carb and that needs to be a high fiber carb. And, you know, it's just, it's more things for you to focus on, pay attention to and quote succeed at that program. You're also weighing yourself every day. So when you're weighing yourself every day, you know, you either have a dopamine hit of Yes, I've lost weight or, oh, I didn't lose weight today. So now I need to be restrictive instead of like, oh, I need to just eat food. Yeah. So you're
0: doing all of this work and then you're coming to the scale every day and you're either getting your dopamine hit and being like, it works, or you're getting into your rejection sensitivity and going, Mm -hmm. I'm a bad person. I need to be punished. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's
1: orthorexia. Oh, for sure. And like one of the things too, that was, I don't want to say encouraged because it wasn't verbally encouraged, but the behavior was continually repeated by higher up coaches. So then you see it of like, oh, well, I just finished this program. So I'm going to have like a cheat meal, a treat meal or whatever. And then Monday we're starting a new program. So we're going to be back on track. That as well is that same orthorexia of like, I'm eating quote bad foods. You know, like I cannot tell you how many coaches I see be like, I was on vacation. So I had all the treats, but now I'm pulling it back in. It's like, if you eat a balanced diet and you make things like mimosas and a cookie and a brownie part of like an everyday, I can eat it whenever it loses its sparkle. It loses its unreachableness because you can have it whenever you want. All they're doing is creating this deeper and and dietitians, people who have degrees talk about this, that all it's doing is creating a deeper and deeper eating problem by saying like, oh, you can't have this you know, it's like, don't think about the color red. All you're going to think about is the color red because you cannot have it. And so then they tried to come out with this program that was like, you know, recipes. So you can make like fix approved cookies or fix approved brownies or fix approved enchiladas. Do you know how many like random ingredients I bought for things like xanthan gum and like almond flour, which by the way, we can't even have in our house anymore because my son is allergic to tree nuts. Like, you know, they use all of these like alternative things. We're like, If you just make a really good brownie, you can eat a piece of that really good brownie and feel super satisfied. I've had really good black bean brownies that I love. Like they're really good. More nutrient dense foods can be really good. But also if I make something that's not satisfying, I'm going to want to eat 15 of them. Like if I make this (laughs) shitty almond flour donut, that's gritty and grainy, it is not going to satisfy me like going and getting like a nice warm duck donuts donut that I've created that I wanted exactly like that. You know what I mean?
0: Yes. I have ice cream in my fridge. Always. I have cookies Mm -hmm. in the house. Always. There is a snack cabinet in our house. That's chips Mm -hmm. and crackers and and lunch stuff for school. Mm -hmm. And my daughter knows if she wants something that there's a snack cabinet. We snack less. We binge less because it's there. It's there whenever I want
1: it. And you think about, am I really hungry? Right. Or am I having an energy dip? So if I'm having an energy dip, I'm not going to feel great. If I eat the Oreos, I'll feel better if I eat an orange. So it's more just about like how you feel and not so much about like, Oh, I'm hungry. Oh my God. I have Oreos. I'm going to eat the whole sleeve of Oreos. You know what I mean? And like, I'm really into the dark chocolate Trader Joe's peanut butter cups. So I can have like one after lunch and one after dinner and be like totally satisfied. And and it's not like I'm saying, oh, Jeanette, you can only have one. Like if I want to have two, I'm going to have two. If I want to have ice cream, I'm going to have ice cream. But I buy like the Tillamook really good ice cream. Like, so I can really enjoy like an ice cream cone with my son, vegetables. Like you said, I have the snacks, but I also have fruit and vegetables. And like, if I want to eat buffalo chicken dip with cucumbers, I'm doing it because I want it with the cucumbers, not because I'm trying to cut calories. Like, and and I honestly am the healthiest. Strongest I've ever been. I have more mobility. I have more, it, like, all of that because I'm not restricting my food. I'm taking care of myself. And I know that's not everybody's story. I know a lot of people leave Beach Body and struggle for a really long time. And not just Beach Body, but anything diet related, right? It, it's a lifelong challenge of like, I'll still have in my head, like, I haven't had a green today. And then I'm like, Jeanette, they're not greens. They're called vegetables. So
0: there was another thing in your email that really struck a chord with me because I see it all the time. I've heard it from other guests. I see it as comments, but it's that Beachbody uh, more so than other MLMs does that whole like, oh, we're not like other MLMs and really bring people in going, Oh no, 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 no. This is like a lifestyle. This is not an MLM. Uh, MLMs are bad. We agree sort of thing. Let's talk about that because you were not the first person to bring this up. And I'm sure there are people listening right now going, yes, that's what I was taught too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I remember when I signed up, um, Rodan and Fields was also really big at that point on Facebook. And, um, I remember getting really annoyed by Rodan and Fields people. (laughs) I'm really sorry guys. I, (laughs) but I remember being really annoyed because I was like, this is a scam. I'm in Beachbody. (laughs) You're saying this is a scam, (laughs) but we're told so much, like we are selling a health and fitness lifestyle, right? Like this is something people need. This is something that people use every day. This is a real product. Uh, It's important for your health versus like people don't, need leggings people don't need skincare I mean yes they kind of do but you know what I mean like it's like the way it was taught and it's like oh well we have the best compensation plan which I really don't even know because that's another thing I'm not good at math and the compensation plans and I think 70% of being good at an MLM is understanding how the compensation plan works and knowing how to build it whereas the rest is your popularity and being able to bring people on but like I I And again, part of the rejection sensitivity, I didn't want to understand it because I didn't want to go in and see people inactive and then have to go reach out to them and be like, Hey, I saw that you're inactive. Do you want to maybe get something so that way you can be active and I can keep my diamonds on this? Okay. Thanks, like, Your so executive
0: it just, dysfunction was like, <laughs> yeah. To go yes, into exactly the back means to open yes. Pandora's box means yes. I'll see who is leaving, who has left, who's inactive. And then it adds even more things to that list of your executive Mm -hmm. dysfunction of things that you don't want to have to do. So yes, exactly. 100%. We're not even going to open up the fridge to make the grocery list today. We can do it tomorrow. That's a problem for future Jeanette and future.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And like, you know, with the being told that other MLMs aren't great. So like first of all, there's the whole like, oh, well, we're not a pyramid scheme, which if anyone ever has to tell you they're not a pyramid scheme, they probably are a pyramid scheme. You know, I know you say this. So it's like, I remember watching the video that the um, CEO made of like, how it's not a pyramid scheme and going, okay. I mean, if they made a video, then I guess, okay. Because I remember when I signed up being like, is Beachbody a scam? Like I Googled it, People set up their SEOs. So, whenever you Google that, you're brought to a Beach Body Coach's page of where they're like, it's not a scam. It's great. You know what I mean? So, there are SEOs set up that if you Google things, you're going to kind of get some confirmation bias there. Yes. And, like, honestly, I was looking for confirmation bias. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's exactly what you were
0: looking for. So when you found a little bit of truth, you are like, "Mm," and then when you found someone saying, well, it's not really a scam because X, Y, Z. And you're like, well, that's what Beachbody said too. See, here's more proof. But Mm -hmm. it's like, it's not unbiased. It's someone who's in Beachbody who's also trying to convince not only people like you, but others
1: that it's not a scam and you should join. And it's totally safe and totally fun and totally fine back when Beach Beachbody first started, it wasn't MLM, right? And so there was like P90X and stuff like that. And there are people who really liked those programs and are like, well, I still really like the workouts, like what you're going to like, right? Like, I can't tell you what to do. But one of the things I talk about on TikTok, for example, is like, even if you really like these workouts, instead of supporting this company that is hurting people all the time, I promise you, there are much better options that are even free. There are people on YouTube who put out free programs. Like if you need the structure of a program, there are people who put out free programs. I switched to Peloton. I know that that's not like a choice for everybody. I know that that's, you know, out of some people's price range for sure. If you just do the app, it's definitely not as expensive, but there are free options. When people are like, well, I really love these workouts. A lot of the times I think it's because they're afraid to try something new because it has been working. But what does working mean? Right. So one of the things that I've talked about, and I think I'm on a tangent now, so I'm really sorry. But one of the things I've talked about with people is they say like, well, I like them because they work. Well, what does that mean? That means that you're losing weight why, why are you losing weight? Probably because you're under eating. And I mean, they've even, there's even a video right now of two of the trainers talking about how they don't teach you how to properly stretch because they have to build the program within a certain amount of time. So that's what, so people, yeah, people are getting injured. I mean, like, I can't tell you how many people I know who injured knees, injured backs, things like that, because you're not taught form very well. I've I've sat and I'm not a trainer. I started to get my certification and then didn't finish it. You know, another ADHD thing, but like, I've sat and watched the people in the videos, not the super trainers, but the other people. And some of them have terrible form, horrible form. And Brianna Jewell, I love her YouTube because she will break down the moves and say like why they're dangerous and why you're going to get hurt and other moves that you can do instead of these like crazy compound moves. Uh, I got a
0: message the other day and this actually works out really well because the advice I gave her, you know, well here, basically what happened was the other day I got a message from someone who was like, look. I have one of the Beachbody bikes and I bought it before Beachbody took over the bike company. And I love the bike and I have to use Beachbody to use the bike. And the bike is brand new. Like I bought it and it's nice. And I don't really have the money to get rid of the bike and buy a new bike. What do I do? And I basically told them, look, you know, there are certain instances where things like this happen, where you're in this. Like, I don't really have a lot of choices. right? right. Uh, and I told her, I said, look, you know, use the bike and use the program. Don't yeah. subscribe to the, the, the coaching. Don't sell the product. Don't use the product, whatever. If all you're using is the bike and the program you have to use to use the bike, you use that until you come to the point where the bike breaks or you want to upgrade or it's not working for you anymore. And at that point, you can... Go because I think there are people out there who are like, Am I a bad person? And I don't want any of no. you to ever think right. that you are a bad person for using MLM products that you have purchased in the past, right? People Absolutely. are like, I love Lularo. Is it okay that I still wear it? And I'm like, Yes, I just right. don't because I have extreme trauma and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you can wear it if you want to wear it. You can do these things if you bought them and you had them and you liked them. We talk about how the products are not really the problem. Yes. And unfortunately, A lot of these companies rope these things in to where you have to support the company. Mm -hmm. So I know you're listening right now uh, and and the advice is the same. And I think probably Jeanette, you would probably say very, something very similar. Do you have any advice for our bike friend who's listening?
1: Yeah. So I, I think too, the thing to remember is if you are on a BOD annual subscription, they're not making that much money off of you. Like they're, they're just not. It's the people who are regularly on subscriptions to the supplements who are signed up as coaches. That's where they're making their money. Yeah, they're still being supported by you doing the workout problems. You're still part of the numbers when they present them to their shareholders, whatever. That aspect of it is so minimal. It's like a drop in the bucket where they're making their money is truly off of the coaches and the other coaches. The other thing that I would say too, is be cognizant of who you take the classes with and maybe take the classes with some of the body instructors who aren't some of these super trainers who are spreading problematic information to kind of boost them a little bit. Right. So that's, that's my personal opinion is like, you know, we have some of these super trainers who don't necessarily share the best information when it comes to diet, when it comes to nutrition and not really safe information. So just be cognizant of who you take the classes with. And I think that that's also helpful for your own mental health because of the messages you'll be hearing, but also just they track what classes people take. So in the long run, like that's gonna show them like who they should be supporting within the body structure. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that's actually really great advice that I didn't even think about or or know that one, the bod subscription is not the huge moneymaker. It's not the pyramid. It's like a hundred
1: dollars a year. It's like, yeah.
0: yeah. And then two, to support the not problematic instructors and coaches and to stay away Mm -hmm. from the super coaches who are pushing the uh, toxic diet culture. Absolutely. That's, that's great. For sure. The
1: things that I would really try to get away from are the supplements. And there are tons of accounts online that share alternatives to the supplements and it will save you money. I know a lot of people will be like, well, I really like Energize, which is the pre-workout product they have. And I get it because when I started taking Energize, I liked it too, because a lot of pre-workouts make me hot or itchy and it did not. So I get it. However, there are other ones that are less expensive and not part of an MLM that are alternatives and that's where they make their money anyway because I think you're paying like your coach is like $40 for 30 scoops like a lot of people do two scoops and then it's like $50 I think if you're not a coach so then it's like you're paying $50 for like 15 workouts basically for the energized so like and that that is where they make their money is in those subscriptions if you're on the subscription you pay a little bit less but you're getting it every month, they're charging your card. And two, if you're getting the subscription, you're going to want to sign up as a coach to save even more money.
0: And Another thing that I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, I just have like all these notes, but yeah, let's talk about coaches, coaching coaches to coach.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) So, okay. So I talked a little bit about how, when I was kind of struggling with getting people, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to use my Facebook like page instead of like going to all of my friends and family from college and high school and all of this stuff. And so I paid for that program, which also I paid a lot of money in advertising. I did have a video go mini viral. It wasn't even related to Beachbody because we were told like, don't make all of your videos related to what you're doing because you want to pull people in, right? With these coaches who coach, one of the biggest things that I was thinking about was you're hearing it in Beachbody, but you're also hearing it from these coaches who coach coaches is like, you want to be yourself, but also like, don't be yourself. So it's like, you want to find your niche, right. And be yourself and share those like quirky things about you and share like the trauma that you're going through. So just re-traumatize yourself all the time so you can connect with people. But at the same time, like, and this was really big for me, it was around 2016, like I wanted to share things that were important to me that were going on in the world. And we were being told, be the light. Don't share the negative stuff. Be the light. Let people come to your page for happy things. I reached a point where I couldn't do that anymore because there were important things going on around me that I felt that I needed to share and I needed to be vocal about. And I did not care anymore if it affected people signing up with me. However, before that, I was signing up with these different coaches. I think I signed up with two different influencer business coaches. One very, very, very popular in the health and fitness industry coach who initially started kind of coaching people for like uh, bodybuilding competitions. And then she kind of moved into doing this like business coaching. And I spent probably like $6,000 on that program. Wow. Um, Yeah, where, you know, we met with her every week. We had pods. It was an influencer academy. And so it was like teaching you how to be an influencer. And like, they would tell you things like, oh, you don't need to be an expert, right? People are coming to you because they think that you're the expert. And like, if you can lose weight, you can teach people how to lose weight. Swear, swear. (laughs) What? Teaching us things like what we should charge for coaching people when I had no credentials. So that was one coach. And that was like a whole thing. Like, I mean, like it was things like, Oh, well, if you can train people to lose weight, like here is um, our program on how to do their macros. So then you can help them do their macros and you can charge them like a thousand dollars for two months of them losing weight. You know what I mean? And you doing their macros for them and literally zero credentials. And I felt weird about it. Like I did not feel good about it. And that's when I started being like, I'm going to get like my certification because this feels weird to me because I don't have a certification and I'm being told to do this. Toward the end of that academy, I was like, maybe I don't want to do anything with health and fitness because my background's more in like education. So maybe I'll do something with like life coaching <laughs> because my life was so together at that point. And so I started looking into that and I found a coach who had been a beach body coach who was not that successful as a Beachbody coach, slightly more successful than me, who was trying to help people. She could help you if you were in your MLM. I'm still using the double speak of help, but trying to teach people if they're in their MLM how to sell their MLM better or what you could do that's not MLM related, right? And so I know other people have talked about this on the podcast, but I also have trichotillomania. And at the time I was dealing with going through kind of like trying to overcome that. And because I shared it, because, you know, share those things that are really hard. So you can bring people in who are your people, build that community. That's your people. And so I shared this very hard thing for me to deal with that I've dealt with my whole life that I've been made fun of for my whole life. And so I shared this really hard thing. And then I had this coach who coaches coaches that was like, why don't you train people on how you're doing better with that? Do I have a psychology degree? No. Do I have a psychiatry degree?
0: No. She wanted you to become a trichotelomania recovery coach. Coach.
1: Coach. yes, I did coach one person. She did do a lot better. because I was doing good at the time. However, guess who relapsed on it? Me. So how am I in any position to help anyone? They'll spin things in ways to make it make sense to you of like, oh, well, psychologists, like they have their own problems. They see their own therapists. Like, yeah, but they also have like um, degrees? training and degrees and, you know, hours of license. You know what I mean? Like, the, like it gets in your head to where you're like, oh, I guess I could do this. And so you're desperate and you try things. And again, being ADHD, it's a new shiny thing to try. You know, oh, I get to build a website. Yes. Ooh, I don't only get to build a website, but I get to like build my own thing. Yes. Like it's just ropes you into to doing the new, fun, exciting thing. So I spent money on that too, and I didn't feel good about it. So I eventually just kind of left it. And that's when I decided to start doing um, real estate, which I don't do anymore. Just trying to figure out what was right for me in my life at the time. I was really lost, I think is what it was at the end of the day. Can I think back to those things and think like, I learned some stuff like, I mean, yeah, but mostly what did I learn? I learned that scammers are going to scam. they put this this blindfold or glasses on to and i mean i think that we have been guilty of this too in mlms of like
0: but at the but i'm
1: helping people because you do see points of where you have helped people and so they think they're helping people but at the end of the day they're they're not like if you're helping two people and taking money from 500 people you're not helping people if you have four success stories and you have 15 people who didn't succeed that's not their fault You know, and I think a lot of times these coaches who coach kind of prop themselves up on like, I've helped these people be successful, but is it really because of what you did or is it because they have a huge following or is it because they went viral? You know what I mean? Like, I I think at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff that makes people successful in these areas is going viral. And that kind of ties into part of why I left as well. I left shortly after my son was born. I noticed that people who did really well were people who share their children. Now I'm not your parent, whatever, but like I think that your daughter is old enough to decide like I'm okay with you sharing me on social media. A lot of these people, a lot of these people who share their kids, their kids are not old enough to decide if they're comfortable being shared on social media. And we do not know what that will look like in 15 years. I'm waiting for lawsuits from some of these kids when they get older, suing their parents for exploiting them and making money off of them and giving them nothing.
0: Like there are, and
1: like, it's not just a Beachbody thing. It's also like a blogger thing, but I see it a lot in Beachbody of people using their children to gain TikTok followers, to gain popularity. And they're creating this really unhealthy situation for their children where their child is always looking at the camera their child is always acting for the camera their child is being coached that child is not going to know who they are or what they want like it is so sad to me and that started really sticking out to me once I had my son and I didn't want to share him anymore like I used to share him a little bit but I was like I love his little personality and who he is and what he does that's so funny without being video. like, do I want videos of it for myself? Yes, But I don't need to share that with everybody. They don't all need access to everything all the time. And I think in MLMs, we're kind of taught like our following needs to have access to us all the time, whether it's sharing everything that we're doing and oversharing or whether it's, you know, being available for messages all the time. I realized like that access I need to control that access. I'm not controlling that. When I'm on my phone messaging people while my son is awake and, you know, when they're babies, they're awake when they're awake. Like they're they're doing what they're doing. Like they're being kids. And, you know, I see these kids that get so, you can see that they're upset. You can tell, you know, in the background that even if they're acting out for the camera, you can see it there. You know what I mean? And so that was like one of the things, and I don't want to judge anybody for sharing their kids on social media. Like that is, that is your choice. I think it's something to think about that when your kid is old enough to consent, it's very different than when they're young and they don't know any better. I think there's also a lot of people out there, you know, we've seen it recently, right. With that rent of like the type of people who follow your account when you are sharing your children, I think is an important thing to look out for. And I know that I'm on a totally different tangent, but like, I think that this is something that MLMs look the other way on because it makes them money. If you're really training people to be good at selling online, why aren't you also training them on safety and online safety? Because you're sharing that you're out of town. You're sharing that you're on vacation. People are sharing their whole floor plans of their houses. They're sharing, you know what I mean? Like the things that people share online, again, that access. Is so dangerous. I'm not trying to scare people, but like, it's not taught at all by your MLM. And so it's something to think about. And it's something to think about when you're supporting MLMs. If you are buying an MLM product and you're buying it from somebody, think about who you're buying it from and what kind of content they're putting online. Are they putting their daughter online every day and using their daughter to drive their sales? Or are they doing it by their own results and their own experience? Just, just something to think about. You know what I mean? I
0: totally agree with you. Um, Abby would like to be on my TikTok and the podcast and everything a lot more than she is. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, Hey, you know, when it's appropriate and when I feel like it's fun, then sure you can make best appearances, but this is not what that is. And, and I'm not a big look at me. I'm famous kind of person. And I don't like to instill that in her either. You know, it's always something fun or funny, but I agree with you. You know, I, I uh even if we are places, if I film something, I don't usually post it until we're back home and safe because exactly. I don't want some random person to be like, oh, you're at the mall. I'm at the mall right now too. Like mm-hmm. I just, I live in San Diego. It's a big place. There's a lot of people that live here and yes. I get recognized randomly when I'm out sometimes and I don't ever want anybody to be like, I know where she is at this moment. And, and yeah, safety is very important. We've had many conversations about online safety on this podcast and understanding what you're comfortable with and then looking and saying is this something i want to put my child into and and how frequently and are they into it or are they like mom i don't want to do this and and to, right. i really understand consent especially with children and what those boundaries are and what they look like because I know you want to have an online life and you want to have your children be a part of it. And as long as they're okay and you're not exploiting them, there's a a healthy balance to everything
1: in life. Yeah. And like, there's, it's one thing, like when you're like, Oh, look at my child, like eating this meal. That is so cute. Oh, look at them on the playground. So cute. Like I'll occasionally share stuff like that without his face in it. But like when they're like the star of the video, that's when I'm like, this is not Mm -mm. And like, you know, part of it is again, my background and my partner's background and um, what their job is and knowing some of this stuff is like, it it can be really disturbing. So I don't want to get like too into it, but like, I, I think it is something to think about is like, if these MLMs really care about you, would they not be teaching you how to be safe online instead of how to make sales? Same thing with these coaches who coach, right? Like they're not teaching you how to be safe online. They're teaching you how to exploit yourself and how to share every little piece of your life all the time. It it doesn't create a life of freedom. It creates a life of no boundaries. And learning how to recreate boundaries has been really difficult for me because I lived so long without boundaries it's kind of crazy to think about just how much access you gave people. Like, you know, how many times did you sit there and go, hold on a second, I need to finish sending this message. Hold on a second, I need to finish editing this video. Hold on a second, I need to do this. And it's like, they don't know whether it's your kid, your partner, your spouse, whatever. Like I would go visit family and be like, I have to work out today. Take time away from visiting family to work out. I don't care anymore. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's just because you had to be a product of the product. I would take my Shakeology with me. I would take my blender with me. I would take my products with me. I would take weights with me because I was giving people that much access to my life. And I, I'm sure you run into this too. And I kind of said it to you at the beginning. There are people who feel like they know me and know my life because I've shared so much and they probably do. Because I've shared so much and they've been following me that long and I, and I don't have like a big following, I think, but it's like, because I shared these like traumatic things, like my trichotillomania, you know, I had recurrent miscarriages. So I shared that exploiting myself, sharing my own trauma, people connected with that. And that's not always a bad thing, but in hindsight, when I've done it the way I did it
0: no, And that brings up an excellent point, right? Because I yeah. share my trauma constantly, very publicly right in every episode, in every interview I do with whoever's like, Hey, talk to me. I share my trauma yeah. <laughs> and I, people talk about like, Oh yeah. Being re-traumatized. I am at the point where I am no longer being re-traumatized. When I tell my story, it has right. become like a funny story to me. And yeah. even going down different tangents with different topics, like it's all funny because I have taken the time to come out of it, to understand the whys of what happened and to educate myself and heal. And it took a long time. I mean, this was 2017 when I left and we're in 2022 right now. So it took a long time and I have seen people leave MLM and get thrust into speaking out or whatever, when they're not ready and then they disappear and you never see them again or something happens. Right. And I really want people to understand that it takes time. And there are people that have reached out to me and said, I really want to be on your podcast. I have a really great story, but I'm not ready. And I say, yeah, you know, when you are, because I never Mm -hmm. want anybody to come on here that isn't ready to talk about the things we talk about and would be re-traumatized again. And it's totally fine. It happens all the time. People are like, you know what? I don't think I'm ready. I'm going to email you in six months. I'm going to listen. I'm going to follow along. I'm going to message you. And it happens and we talk and it happens later. i that's got someone I was talking to today who we're probably going to talk about six months. It's important to understand where you are in your journey of leaving, of recreating boundaries, of re-understanding what you did and why you did it and what those triggers are. So you can navigate your new life, especially with neurodivergency and people that are coming mm-hmm. out and going, What happened to me? Why? If anything we talked about today with executive dysfunction and uh, rejection sensitivity or any of these things, and you're like, wait a second, all those things, I do have names. I'm, I can't diagnose you, but I can very gently nudge you to say, check it out. Find Mm -hmm. somebody. Women are often misdiagnosed. I was, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression, which I definitely present, But because I I have ADHD, which is a dopamine deficiency, none of the medication they gave me for anxiety and depression ever worked because I was still deficient in dopamine. And and so understanding that it's ADHD with depression and not just depression really, really helps and understanding what those things are going to a professional, not just looking on, on TikTok and being like, I think I have this. I, (laughs) I have ADHD. Talk to a professional, make an appointment. Uh, when I talked to my psychiatrist, she was like, Oh yes. Would you like to do advanced testing? We can go even deeper. And and I said, you know what? Maybe right now I want to focus on this and just understanding where I'm at, but it's good to know that when I'm ready to go deeper, we can go deeper. And she's like, yeah, figure it out. And it's, it's a journey. It's a personal journey. There were so many things that I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. do that. Um, that I never, never noticed. And again, like you and I both being diagnosed later in life. uh, And this is just maybe for for fun. Maybe some parents are listening and they're like, I think maybe my kid might have this. What were some of the things that you did? Like the stimulating that you did, the stimming as we call it. Um, Yeah. All the different things that you did. (laughs) Me too. I'm a a foot tapper. I'm a foot tapper and I'm a hand talker. Those are my stimulations. (laughs) Um, What were things that you did as a child that were, dismissed as just being a normal kid that were actually yeah. signs of ADHD that, that maybe your parents should have gone, wait a second about.
1: Oh yeah. I, so I feel like I did, well, I think I did such a good job at masking certain things. I definitely still bite the inside of my cheek or my lip when I'm listening. So I don't talk. That's like a huge one that I still catch on occasion or bite the bottom and in the inside here. I always wonder too, if trichotillomania is connected as a form of stimming, because it is like, you know, you're pulling and so it's kind of creating this like endorphin. So I always wonder if that's connected. I don't know that it is. And at the time when I was 12 or whatever, we didn't have information about stuff like that. Like we do now. It was just like, why do you have this strange habit? Stop doing it. You're pretty. Stop pulling your hair. I think the biggest things for me were probably constant talking in class, having to be separated all the time <laughs> from people in class, regardless of where I sat. Um, right. Because
0: it's not about talking to our friends. It's just about talking to someone. Yeah. So it doesn't matter mm-hmm. where you put us. We yeah. will make no. friends with
1: whoever we you put make us friends. next to. Exactly. I think it's really hard to think about like when I was young, I think that it really didn't start showing until I started to get a little bit older and like in high school the type of acting out that I needed to do in order to feel seen and in order to feel under, I don't know if understood is the right word, but the way that I would get like obsessive over like boyfriends, <laughs> I know that sounds really strange, but like, if I was in a relationship, I was really into that person and not like in a way of like, I'm going to stalk them, <laughs> but like in a way of like, I wanted to be with them all the time. I wanted us to talk all the time. Because I was like hyperfixating on this relationship that made me feel good, that gave yeah. me that like that Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hyperfixation
0: on things that give you dopamine. Yeah, even like a slight obsession.
1: And I think the perfection drive probably is like a huge red flag. I was always obsessed with like getting the best grade, things needing to be perfect before I turned them in. However, I would wait till the last minute to do them, but they needed to be perfect before I turned them in. Oh yes. And, Procrastination yeah. paired with
0: perfectionism, 100% yes. ADHD.
1: And I wouldn't let my parents know that I procrastinated. You know what I mean? Because all they saw was my report card. They didn't know that I was like doing my math homework in the morning at the, at the lunch tables before class started. Literally like they just the knew bus. I was getting good grades. Yeah, exactly. They just knew I was getting good grades. They didn't know that I was like learning stuff at the last minute cramming. I'm not saying this to chew my own horn, but like my psychiatrist and my therapist, like they told me, they're like, you're really smart. Like you're really intelligent. And that's how you got by. And so I think like, if you have a kid who's really smart and they're really intelligent, it's really easy to miss the flags. And I'm not saying that like kids where you can see the flags, like, well, they're dumb kids. Cause that's not true either. It's just different people have different levels of ways that they can mask and hide it. And one of the main things that, people focus on with kids is, are they getting good grades in school? That should not be the measure of success for children anyways, but because it is, that's where the focus is. So if your kid's getting good grades, you're just going to ignore it. If your kid is presenting it in a way that they're not getting good grades, that's when we see it. You know what I mean? Does that kind of make sense in what I'm saying? Absolutely.
0: I think so many times my symptoms were overlooked because I got straight A's and was a yeah. really great student and the teachers had great things to say about me because I'm yeah. a perpetual people pleaser and everything was perfect.
1: Yeah. And yeah.
0: But oh, I was always thinking of other things. I could never focus. Like my homework was great and everything, but like in the moment, lots of fidgeting, foot tapping, and my mom's like, you you tap your feet a lot. They put me in dance. I learned how yeah. to tap dance. And so my foot tapping just now had great rhythm. rhythm. That's it. That's all it did. I just was yeah. like, well, now yeah. I have patterns. Now I have patterns I can do. I know my feet can do other things. Like, like it didn't It didn't change anything at all. No. And, and I no. still do it. And even after I was diagnosed, my daughter's like, mom, you're like standing in the kitchen and you're like shaking your booty. And I was like, I'm just sort of wiggling. I'm just stim. I'm just stimming right now. I didn't even realize I do this, but I still do it. So yeah, I think these are all really great symptoms. Uh, You know, there's nothing quote unquote wrong. It's just like, why do you do that? And a lot of times it is because of neurodivergency. It's just the way that our brain says, This is the way that it is. We don't like to go one, two, three, four, five. You give me a list of five things to do, I'm going to do four, three, one, two, five. Like it's, it's, I want to choose. I'm going to put it in my order that works best. When I go grocery shopping, I start left to right and I literally go down the grocery store in my head and go everything here. And that's how I make Mm -hmm. my list. Yeah, I'm very organized in some places and then completely unorganized in others. But if you look at one of my doom boxes or my doom towers, I know it's exactly what's in there. If you touch mm-hmm. it, it's toast. I'll never yeah. be able to find anything again. But if I put it in a random weird place, I can find it again. And those are all ADHD things. Those are, if there's any weird red flags where you're going, Oh my God, I think I have ADHD. Like we said, go, go make an appointment, make an appointment with a psychiatrist. Yeah. A psychiatrist is the one that's going to be able to help you the best. Find a psychiatrist yes. in your area, whatever it is, find interview, call doctors, tell them what's going on. Tell them, this is what you think. Can we get in? Can we talk about this? And if you don't like the doctor, find a new doctor. If someone tells you, yeah, no, 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 no. Find a new doctor. I'm not saying continue to find a doctor till you get the answer you want, but find a doctor who is willing to talk to you and listen to you and not write you off as some person who thinks they have ADHD because of TikTok,
1: (laughs) because you might actually have it. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's something to be said for our own personal intuition, as well as our our tuition as parents, where if you don't get a diagnosis and it doesn't feel right, trust your intuition. If you get a diagnosis and it doesn't feel right, maybe it is something else, trust your intuition. And I think too, like, you know, when, when you were talking about the doom boxes, it reminded me, I think the thing is too, is like, as parents, we see it as like a failure if our child is diagnosed with something, but that's not what it is That's you know, like when my son was diagnosed, he has multiple allergies. And instantly I'm like, what did I eat during my pregnancy that caused him to have all these allergies? And that's not how it works. And we know that that's not how it works, but we automatically feel like we did something. We can easily fall into a thing of like, well, I'm not going to take them to get diagnosed and so I'm just going to help them. I don't want my kid on medication Instead, so I'm just going to help them. And I'm not saying every kid needs to be on medication or anything like that. But if you learn how to support someone who has ADHD and like, say like, okay, They have a drawer that is a junk drawer, but they know everything that's in that drawer. Let them have the junk drawer. If their room is clean, like there's no food in it and stuff like that, but they have different piles, let them have the piles. They need to learn how to function in a way that makes sense to them. And trying to put your own organizational ideas on them. Even as someone with ADHD, if my child has ADHD, it will be so different. You need to let them work with both a professional, you and themselves to learn what makes sense. And I think that growing up, having ADHD symptoms, but no one knowing that's what it was, it was how do we fix these issues instead of how do we support what's happening underneath that's letting us see these things. I think, you know, we just talked a little bit about like what some of these flags are and things to pay attention to. And it's really easy to say like, oh, these are problems, but they're not problems. They're only problems because society has made them problems because society has created this nine to five work week that, you know, you have to get everything done in this certain span of time. There are jobs that allow you to be flexible. There are jobs that are supportive of your mental health. There are schools and teachers that you can work with. Now, I know that it's not that easy. It is definitely not that easy, but if your child at home has the support then where it's not easy like schools or work or whatever it makes it a little bit easier because they have the support and they know where they can go and you know again like with the doom boxes and the you know the piles and things like that I like to say it is like I pick my battles with myself I know what's in that drawer I don't, it doesn't need to be organized like where I wear my long sleeve shirt and like move all my organization and buy every little organizational thing. So it looks like a TikTok video, because I think we're also very drawn to things that are aesthetically pleasing, because we struggle with making things aesthetically pleasing. It doesn't have to be that way. It just needs to be something that makes sense for you or for your child. And I think too, that when you have the support and you can recognize these things, it can keep you away from these things that draw you in. For example, now that I like am aware of why MLMs drew me in and why Beachbody drew me in, I now see those flags way more clearly, you know, like if I hear about another MLM or something and I'm like, I can see why I would be drawn to that because I know the more, you know, (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: what is one word that encompasses how you feel about MLMs?
1: You know, it's funny is I was like, every time I listen to the podcast, I know my answer is going to be. And right now I have no idea what my answer is. I would say one word manipulative.
0: What is a warning that you would give to somebody who wants to join an MLM?
1: I mean, I want to say don't. However, I know that everybody is in different situations and things. But I mean, honestly, what I would say is why do you want to join that MLM and find another way to fill that gap? If it's community, find another way to fill that gap. There are people who can help you. If it's money, there's other ways to fill that gap that you will actually make money. So just find other ways to... Fill the real reason you want to join it. If it's because you really like the products, maybe just do a quick check on some other products that might be cheaper and healthier, but you do you.
0: (laughs) What is the worst MLM in your opinion?
1: Oh, gosh. So I think the most dangerous MLMs are the ones that are related to health and fitness and eating because they can create disordered eating so to me like things like Optivia and Beachbody could be the worst however I think that ones like Amway are so damaging it's so hard to pick like I don't know the worst one I will give it to Amway I guess because they started it all (laughs) (laughs) I mean
0: I agree with you there uh what is the hardest lesson that you learned while you were in MLM Mm.
1: I mean, I think it's related to friendships. I don't know how to verbalize this because when you are in a position where you have to lean on your friendships to be successful, you're going to lose friendships. And when you're in a position where people are responsible for your success in terms of like, you have to be these people's friends, but also they need to succeed, you're going to lose those friendships. I feel like it really impacted my ability to connect with people to where I didn't want people always thinking like, Oh, Jeanette's being my friend. Is she going to try to sell me something? You know what I mean? Or then I'd be like, well, I can't try to sell them anything because then they're going to think that I'm not genuinely trying to be their friend. I think that was like the biggest lesson for me. And now like, oh, look, I can just like, you know, be friends with people.
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
1: And then finally,
0: the positive takeaway from your time in MLM.
1: Uh, I think had I not been in MLM, I never would have figured out my actual career path, I think I would have always kind of wondered, I think learning what I'm not good at and what I'm good at those red flags and having that chance to like struggle kind of made me switch careers and figure out kind of what's right for me. So I'm now, now I do customer success, so it's not really sales, but there is like an aspect to it that is, and it's supporting people using, you know, a SaaS product and i never would have found that I really enjoyed doing something like that. If I hadn't tried so many things to be successful, if that makes sense. I mean, and I don't want to give MLM the credit for that either. Cause maybe I would have, I don't know, but I think it really allowed me to see like some of the not so great parts of myself and some of the really good parts of myself for growth. So.
0: Excellent. I love it. Yeah. So if there's anybody out there listening who was like, oh my God, I love Jeanette. i super connected. I was in Beachbody too. Where can people find you uh, to follow you?
1: On Instagram, I'm with love Jeanette. Uh, there's some underscores in there, but you should you know, find me. I think it's with underscore love underscore Jeanette. And then on TikTok, I'm anti MLM Jeanette. And so there I share specifically like Beachbody stuff. I definitely don't post as often on TikTok as I do on Instagram. But on Instagram, like I, my DMs are always open. So like, feel free to like, shoot me a message. If you're stuck and you want to know how to quit, like happy to help you because the more people like, honestly, seeing, this is going to sound awful, seeing Beachbody struggle. And I'm not happy that people who have jobs, there are losing their jobs seeing Beachbody struggle is just like chef's kiss after they went public. So, you know,
0: right. <laughs> I know. It's like Schadenfreude at its finest. Yeah.
1: Like they just, if, if you're in Beach or if this is something that interests you in general and you have not seen the call clips that Carl had with the investors, highly recommend listening to how he talks about coaches in that call. I think it is very eye opening.
0: I'll have to find it and throw it in the show notes so everybody can find it too. Thank you so much, Jeanette. You are incredible. Thank you so much for sharing about your ADHD and opening up this conversation. And I hope there were people out there that go, hmm, I need to call my doctor. I have a couple (laughs) questions.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me. I think this is really important. And like, I think the more that people can figure out if they have a connection to ADHD, whether it's them, their child, whatever, and can get diagnosis and the help they need it definitely needs to happen so thank you for covering this and for having me
0: thank you so much for listening to life after mlm don't forget to like subscribe and share and follow us on social media at life after mlm podcast and my advocacy at the real roberta blevins you can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that, that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life
1: after MLM. See you next time, Hans.